Good morning, church. I have been missing just getting to be with you. But I have to tell you, meeting online at the Sportsman House was pretty cool. If you didn't join us last week, I hope you can this week. We're meeting at 10 o'clock Sunday morning to share communion and hear a message aimed to speak first to our Kerrville family and then to those in different parts of the country and even around the world, I'm told, which is pretty cool. Now, Gail and I listened to and sang along with some of our favorite praise music before we even started the video. Uh, and then we took communion and I uh, want to say thanks to Raymond for all that he's doing to make that possible. I want to say, say thanks to our AV guys, thanks to Clark. A lot, of, a lot of people are involved in making this happen. And then we listened to the sermon. A little sketchy, uh, but still made for a great day. I told Gail it had the feel of when we were little kids and we camped in our living room. Now, if you've never done that, this seems to be the perfect time to try to pull that off. But after the message, okay? As kids, we loved camping out in the living room, putting two chairs together to make a tent, uh, turning out the overhead lights and getting out the flashlights, eating marshmallows, Pop-Tarts, Cracker Jacks. is because they were the best camp food ever? No, mom just said they could be vacuumed up easily. That's why we got them. Well, the experience was fun in part because it was novel. It was different. It wasn't the, the usual choice. It wasn't the usual option for how we went to bed at night. Well, this last Sunday's place of worship service was our homes, not the usual option. But it's been mandated by our government that we not meet in groups of more than 10, and that's still the mandate and still will be, it seems, for a couple of weeks. But we're trusting as soon as it's safe to meet at the building, uh, we're going to follow our government leader's lead and we'll see each other again. But ultimately, as a people of God, we take our marching orders from a much higher source. Last week, we saw that God asked us to do more than just stay away from each other. No, he encouraged us to offer prayer to each other, to offer him our trust, uh, to offer hope and peace to our neighbors where we've been strategically dropped into our community. And man, I hope you've done that. This week, we launched a four-part series that is going to take us through the week after Easter. And I'm simply calling the series Uncommon because these are uncommon times, obviously, that call for an uncommon response from what God hopes is an uncommon people led by an uncommon Savior. So to kick things off, I wanted to show you one of the most uncommon things I've seen in a long time. Now, you may have seen these two cockatoos before. Over 10 million people have, but it was new to me this week, and I loved them. And I dare you to keep from smiling as you watch them. Now, let me set what's going on here. There's a guy that's got a shadow right there, and he is, he's playing his guitar, and he's singing one of the Elvis' songs, uh, Don't Be Cruel. And he's doing a great job of it, and at least one bird thinks so. <laughs> but notice the bird on the left, the female bird. She's not grooving on this, not impressed. But I want, you, I want you to notice that as the song goes on, the guy on the guitar is going to start playing a little solo here and start saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And watch out, the, the bird, he just goes nuts. I mean, he is into this, but still, nothing here from the female bird. Again, not impressed. And some of you guys know her thoughts, right? She's thinking, this is not going to help you later, honestly. Digest food or whatever he's thinking. Now, if you haven't seen that video before, it'd be hard to try to describe it to you just in words. And can I tell you the truth? I hope that on the other side of this COVID virus, that when people talk about the Lord's church and how they responded to it, I hope words are hard to find for the love and the care and the concern that was manifested in people called Christian in the church. Well, let me talk about those two words for just a moment, the word church and the word Christian. You probably know both of those words are nouns, 
And we've got some English teachers here in our church, some I call grammar professionals, who could explain this better than I could. But being nouns, those two words need a little help for them to have some meaning in our world. One describes followers of Jesus individually, Christians, and the other describes followers of Jesus collectively, the church. But without these verbs, the words church and the words Christian lose their significance. They lose their, their meaning. They lose their beauty in the world to show a world what matters most. And so knowing that that's true, I want to ask you, what verb would you attach to the word Christian and have it describe what Christians are mostly to do in this world? Now, I want you to be thinking about that, an action word. Uh, and while you're doing that, consider the ministry of Jesus on earth. Think about how he treated people. Think of what he would do with people when he was among them. Now, I know you've probably got a verb at least in your mind, but let's, let's go ahead and say that verb out loud. I'm going to say the word Christian, and then you put the word, the verb that you think fits that and describes Christians best and what they do best. Here we go. One, two, three. Christian love. That's what I would fill the blank with. In part because 1 John 4 and verse 7 says, God is what? Now, how do we know that? Because God is the definition of love. He's the evidence of it. He's the source of it. He's the sustainer of it. And so doesn't it seem to make sense that those of us who refer to themselves as his children, those who call him, themselves followers of this God, would be known by the quantity as well as the quality of their love? Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 35. Your love for one another is going to be the thing that proves to the world that you are my disciples. Now, if anybody understood the meaning of those words, it was the early church, a church that was filled with and led by men and women who had been with Jesus for three years. They saw firsthand what love looked like in flesh. That's why I'm impressed with Dr. Luke's description of the early church to his buddy Theophilus when he was trying to inform him about Jesus and the group of disciples called Christians. Here are some of his first descriptors of those people. Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. He writes, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, we're going to build our series for the next four weeks around this word common because one thing that we all will agree upon that we share in common is having received a very uncommon love from a very uncommon Savior. For many of us, it has radically altered the course of our entire lives, and I'm one of them. And more and more of us are becoming convinced it is too good to keep to ourselves. We don't want to hide it, and we certainly don't want to be guilty of hoarding it. No, we want to share it with the world. So if you'll hear me today, wherever you are and whatever you're dressed in, understand there's been a couple of folks listening to this sermon in their PJs. That's cool. I want to point us to two truths that could shape our identity as Christians individually and as a church collectively. Here's number one. Uncommon love embraces people right where they are. Uncommon love embraces people right where they are. No social distancing here. No arm's length here. Everybody's welcome here, just as you are. Now, when we try to describe to people what KCC is all about, that's how we try to describe ourselves as people who will embrace people, people who will accept people right where they are, but love them too much to leave them there. Wherever life has them for the moment, whether they're young or old, whether they're rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, gay or straight, male or female, American or foreigner, fat or lean, handsome, homely, married, single, or anywhere in between those categories. We're not going to knock people down here. No, sir, we're going to be picking them up. Paul, a recovering sinner, says to other recovering sinners, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may not think of God as an accepting spirit or even as an accepting father. And if that's true, it may be because we've not done a very good job of modeling him well. Or, not, or maybe, this is just a maybe, you've not spent much real time in his scriptures hearing his story. You may have heard a couple of texts from parents or friends, but have you read his story? If you had, you would find a God who embraces people everywhere, everyone, with our hurts, with our hangups, with our crazy habits, because he wants to convey to us what he wants from us is not just to follow some rules. He wants a relationship with us. Now, those of us who are his followers, he wants us to get involved in that effort as well. How involved? Well, I saw a picture this week of a little boy by the name of Gabe. He had surgery to remove a malignant tuber from his brain. Afterwards, he was left with a very, very nasty scar, as you see. And he told his parents, I feel like a monster. Kids at school stare at me. They say awful things about me. And so, his dad, who loved him deeply, went to a local tattoo parlor, and he told the artist there, would you mind tattooing permanently this picture of my son's scar on the side of my head? And he was asked, why would you do that? He said, because I don't want his son to think he has to go through this alone. Friend, when you suffer, when you struggle, you have a leader of the church, Jesus himself, who rolls up his sleeves and shows you his scars and says, I want you to know I hurt with you and I hurt for you. The book of Hebrews put it this way, for all of us who have been wounded or hurt since these words were penned a couple of centuries ago, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, how do you do that, really? Well, you've heard me say this before. You reach for the scars. You show people your scars. You show people those wounds in your life, those hurts in your life that God has come in and he's touched and he's brought healing to, and he's transformed them into a scar, just like he did for Jesus, just like Jesus showed them the doubting Thomas, remember? And he used those scars to transform unbelief to belief. There's a lot of folks in our world who are struggling with believing this God, who are struggling to believe that the church matters, who are struggling to believe that the, that the word of God is his actual word. And so they need to see our scars just like Jesus showed his. Would you do that? Would you come alongside someone who's hurting? Maybe not quite in the same way they're hurting, but could you let them know that how, how he has touched your wounds and turned them into scars? You can embrace people just that way. And believe me, if you will, that's uncommon, but it's so needed. Sister Jesus said a welcome mat at his feet and he said, come to me all who are weary and needy and broken who need a break and I'll give you rest. And because Jesus was so inclusive and so embracive of his love for people, we must be too if we're his followers. When you walk through the doors of the KCC building, when you walk into one of our homes, we want you to know it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. As a matter of fact, our aim is to never judge you to never point a finger at you. We will do our best to never make you feel less than anybody else. Because if something has happened in your life that's made you feel like a nobody, promise you, welcome home, us too, us too. I love the way that Philip Yancey captured the essence of a congregation of people committed to be the church of Jesus. He wrote this, Jesus' church offers a place where infants and grandparents, unemployed and executives, immigrants and blue bloods can come together just yesterday, he wrote, I, I, I was sandwiched between an elderly man who was hooked up to a puffing oxygen tank and a breastfeeding baby who was grunting loudly and con contentedly throughout the sermon. Friend, that can only happen as a church when each of us makes it our individual goal.
to lovingly embrace people like that. And I'm asking, will you commit to that? Will you commit to allowing Jesus' uncommon embrace to be the mark of your life? I hope so. Now, if you're listening and you're not a Christian and you hadn't read the Bible yet, let me offer this spoiler alert. It can be reduced pretty simply to three short statements. Number one, God made everybody. Number two, God died for everybody. And number three, God loves everybody. And I think every now and then, Christian or not, we need to be reminded, we need to remember. Um, that's what the Word of God is about, just that simply. Now, not easy, but just that simply. Now, if you haven't seen in Christians, or if you've been turned off by the hypocrisy of the church, that kind of message, maybe the words of Rich Mullins will humble you as much as they humbled me. The church isn't full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more. Now see, if that resonates with you, Christian or non-Christian, then maybe 10 words can help sum up in the Bible in a personal way what God hopes you hear. And that is, number one, God made you. Number two, God died for you. And number three, God loves you. And so do we, if you'll give us half the chance. One truth that shapes us as Christians and shapes us as a church is that Jesus wants to show his uncommon love through us as we embrace people where they are. Number two, as we empower people to be what God desires them to be. Sorry, we can't take credit for either of those. God's love through us embraces you. God's spirit in us empowers you. Now, if that sounds uncommon, it is. It's out of this world. You see, Christians and those who make up the church realize that alone, we have very little to offer you. But with Jesus in us, the hope of heaven, the power of heaven, we have everything to offer you. You say, well, how do we do that, Jim? How do we empower people to be what God desires? Well, think back to the noun thing and the verb thing. We Christians, the church, need to serve and care and listen and give and assist and help. Not just talk, not just study. I think in one of my cuts that didn't make it into one of the messages a couple of weeks ago, I uh, had heard of a story of a guy back in Kansas who was using a hydraulic wood splitter. And he cut his finger off, the index finger to be specific. Picked the finger up, applied a rag to the nub, drove himself to the emergency room. And when he arrived at the ER, the lady at the desk, without looking up, just passed him a clipboard with some papers on it and said, will you fill those out and we'll get to you as soon as we can. Never looked up. When he pulled out of his finger and laid it next to her coffee cup, she did. And he said, I need to see a doctor now. And she made sure he saw a doctor immediately. Now, I share that story, number one, because it really is really wild, but number two, because it lays a groundwork for this statement. If there's one thing all of us have in common, it's pain. If there's one language every single human being in the world speaks fluently, it's pain. Which is why Par Harvey made this observation, hopefully for Christians to hear. Instead of being fishers of men, too many Christians have become keepers of the aquarium. Church, it's just too much pain for us to do that. Too much hurt, too much suffering in the world that we can make a difference in because of this incredible Christ that lives in us. I can confess there have been times in my life that I've turned a deaf ear and I've turned a blind eye to the pain of the people around me. But I hope that's an occasion and not a reputation. From the day this body of believers made the commitment to become a church family to the Medina campus of Arms of Hope, we took a giant step towards never being isolated from the pain of people, towards never being isolated from the needs of those who are looking to get a new start on life. Single mothers with their children and children separated from their parents join us every single week to try to sort out life together, having been hurt deeply by a world that they lived in. They're looking for a better world in a better time, in a better place. Now, some think to a fault. Our ministries are sloped towards those who are hurting. 
Teens with unplanned pregnancies looking for help and hope through the Pregnancy Resource Center, we help. Children who are separated from a parent or guardian in the night who need foster care, we do that through Divinity Family Ministries, we help. Those are all people that we help who are in need. And they're people who don't know that the Father loves them. And they don't know that He wants just a sane life for them, let alone a life to the full. And so if you can stock a pantry, our New Beginnings Ministry that works with the Child Protective Services needs your help. If you can glue two popsicle sticks together or carry a backpack while smiling at four or five kids, our Summit Ministry needs your help. If you can share your story and listen to a teen tell their story, our Youth Ministry needs your help. And if you're good at sorting things out and organizing things, our team who fills our quiet bags for our worship services could use your help. And on and on I could go with tons of other ministries at our church. Bottom line, we need you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I know that catches some of you off guard thinking, me, really? Well, remember, Jesus chose some common dock workers. Jesus chose some convenient store clerks handing out Slurpees. He chose waiters and waitresses. He poured their life into them in the early church and they radically turned the world upside down. What could he do with 400 fully devoted Jesus followers here in Kirk County who took seriously the example of embracing others and empowering others to be who God designed them to be? Who so live, not say, I don't just want to receive love. I want to give it away. Now call me naive, but I think that God could do a lot with us. And the world desperately needs Jesus' love through you. Over time, 4,000 people have made it to the top of Mount Everest. That is quite a feat. But along the way, 280 people have died trying. And most seasoned climbers will tell you, it is not just the elevation and the weather that pose a threat to most climbers. Now, one often overlooked threat are the able, healthy climbers that can help those who need help, but won't. Recently, an engineer from Cleveland was climbing Everest. And he made it to the summit, was coming back down when he ran out of oxygen. But 40 other climbers moved past him without ever offering to help, and he died. Now, another guy made this observation while he was on the same trip. Passing people who are dying is not uncommon. Unfortunately, there are those who say, it's just not my problem. I've spent all this money, and I am going to summit, and I'm going to get down, regardless of what it means for anybody else. Church, what is happening on Everest is literally happening in churches all over the globe. Friends, we lock eyes with people every single day who are facing an eternity without God. They're gasping for one more breath, and we have the oxygen. We have the salvation. We can't hoard it. We can't hide it. We can't keep it to ourselves. And so when you have a friend who's going through a divorce, or, or they're filing for bankruptcy, or they're depressed, or they're wrestling through an addiction, you're the one that God is calling to embrace them and to help empower them to get through it and past it. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul encourages all of us to stoop down and to reach out to those who are oppressed, to those who've been knocked down, and to pick them back up again, not to walk by them. So I'm going to close with this study that I read about this week about kids who play on playgrounds and when they're willing to risk and when they're not. Researchers noted that when a child can see his mom, they are much more apt to take a risk like to run up the slide backwards or, or to jump off of a moving swing. But when they can't see mom, they play it safe. Now, I love you enough to challenge you this morning to say this. You're saved, so don't live a safe life. The Father sees you, and you're never out of His watchful care. Actually, your salvation is up to Him, and He will protect and watch over you. So, let me encourage you with this. Don't play it safe. Not in this crisis. There are people 
outside of the safe zone who desperately need your help. Paul says this to the church in Corinth who was playing it safe, focusing on themselves rather than outwardly towards others who needed them. He writes, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fit you in. Now the smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I am speaking as plain as I can, Paul says, and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Or in a word, love them. Love them. Church, may we become more than comfortable with this dangerous, reckless verb that wound up costing the Son of God his life. May we risk loving just one person this week, a little recklessly, or maybe a lot recklessly, to make sure they experience the love of God personally. So what do you say? Let's make the uncommon love come again.